yeah. What's up, everybody? Welcome. Welcome to the Arts of Data Science Happy Hour. Super excited to have all of you guys here, man. Welcome to the one year anniversary party. I guess not really a party, but it's just us hanging out and I'm happy you guys are here. Thanks for sticking it out with me for a year. Um, got a lot of OGs in the building. Vin, what's up? Vin was one of the first people I ever interviewed. John Sebastian, what's going on? Ah, shit. What up, man? How's everybody doing? Dave is in the building. What's up, Dave? Kristen, how are you guys doing? Hey, so I hope you guys and Kate Strachey's in the house. That is freaking awesome. So hopefully you guys got a chance to check out the interview I did with Robert Greene. It was uh, one of my favorite interviews because I absolutely love that author. I read all his books and they're freaking amazing. So that was a really distinct honor to get a chance to uh, to speak to him. So hopefully you guys have a chance to check that out. But what's up, everybody? How you guys doing? Dave, where have you been, man? It's been quite some time. <laughs> I've been busy, man, trying to build a business. That's what I've been trying to do. Nice. Including upping my thumbnail game for YouTube. Yes, I saw that. Very we got to get a link to your video for that, man. Very important. <laughs> That's an awesome video, by the way. Um, but yeah, dude, super excited to have you guys here. Thank you so much for hanging out. Like I said, it was a uh, one-year anniversary party, so I got some giveaways for you guys. I got a couple of books from Gilbert I. Kellenboom. We're giving away a couple of copies of this book, People Skills for Analytical Thinkers. I haven't decided how I'm going to be giving this away yet. But uh, I will soon. And I just noticed Thor's thumbnail. That is freaking awesome. Oh, my God. Tor, thank you so much, man. <laughs> Dude, that's so cool, man. Thank you so much. You're, you're very welcome. It took some time today, and I figured I'll celebrate you. And I, I haven't been that. with you all year, but I've been with you for part of this now. And uh, you're, I'm a fan. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you very much. Uh, this definitely will get the thumbnail for sure. Uh, but, yeah, man. So a couple of giveaways, like I said, we've got the books and we've also got um, a bunch of courses and discounts and stuff that I'll be sprinkling throughout the chat. Um, we got some discount codes and stuff. I'll let, uh, I'll let the appropriate individuals um, talk about that. Uh, but yeah, man, if you guys got any questions, let me know. Vin, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm trying to get my, my monitor set up right now. I don't know why I'm having so many struggles getting this screen in the center, but uh, yeah. that's my biggest struggle right now. <laughs> so I'm trying to fight with this. Hopefully you guys get a chance to check us out tomorrow. No, not tomorrow on Sunday. Sunday panel yep. discussion, man, for DSGO virtual conference. Hopefully you guys got a chance to register for that. We got Scott Taylor in the house, the data whisperer. How Yo, you man. Happy birthday. Hey, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Way to go. Man, you're actually one nice of the job. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate that. You're one of the first people I interviewed as well. I think it's been like almost a year to the date that I'd interviewed you and you're coming back again for more. And we're coming back again. Because we, I got a, a lot of feedback from your podcast, which was nice. A lot of people wrote me. Yeah. That was cool. They say good things. But uh, happy birthday there. Nice to see you. Yeah, nice thanks. to see Kate. Yeah, well, Scott here, man. That's awesome. One of our data avengers. I'm here in the datatorium, the back room with all my toys. Absolutely beautiful, man. I love seeing that. Greg, how you doing? Mark, what up? All right, guys. So you guys got to help me out here, man. Anybody got any questions? Let's get this party started, yo. Gersh Simran, go for it, man. Hello, everyone. Hey, how's it going? Um, it's going nice. I'm. Uh, I just got the link to like join you. I'm like really super excited to have in this meeting. All right, I'm super excited to have you here. Do you have any uh, questions or anything that we can help you with to make your journey on this data path a little bit easier? Yeah, I'm just uh, new. I just started my data science degree from San Jose State University. Nice. And so I wanted to like know like where my focus should be and what all things I need to do to be a successful data scientist. Yeah, definitely. So you're finishing up a graduate degree in what? In data science itself? Yeah. All right. So Dave, what do you think 
he should do to get started in data science? First of all, I would definitely, and I've said this before in many other happy hours, although it's been a while since I've been here, you know, says Harpreet pointed out. <laughs> First and foremost, probably need to decide how much production code you want to build and maintain. That's probably the first thing, because it seems to be one of the um, defining characteristics as of late of data science jobs is how much like an ML engineer are you being? And for some people, that's exactly what they want to do. And for other people, they're more interested in actually doing the analytics portion, working with business people and trying to drive strategy. So primarily decide that. If you're down for writing and maintaining production code, cool. Double down on Python, double down on computer science topics, algorithms, how to build good data pipelines, all that kind of stuff. That would be That'd be my advice. Me personally, I tend to like the other end of the spectrum. I like working with the executives and trying to find company strategy, and that takes a lot less software engineering. So that's the first thing I would advise asking yourself. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot. Did not realize I had the spotlight on Scott Taylor the entire time. Sorry about that. That's good. No, I like that. That's just <laughs> fine. You can keep it that way. Not yeah. a problem. So Dave, man, I've got a question for you. So you're talking about you're kind of moving to a position where you're doing more of the strategy and stuff like that. Do you think it is good that you have had this kind of experience as a software engineer in the in the dirt before you've gotten to this strategy type role? If I understand the question correctly, only insofar as I, okay, so I'm old, right? So back in the day, I carried a pager. And when, when stuff broke, I would get paged as a, as a software engineer and fix it. Um, I had that experience and I realized that I didn't want to do that anymore. So insofar as that went, that I had that experience, it was good. In terms of actually informing how I actually wanted to work with data, being a software engineer really didn't factor into it too much. It, it was beneficial in so, because I could also write code if I needed to. I've, I've built, maintained pipelines at, at small companies that I've worked at. But really, being a software engineer really doesn't teach you much about how you use analytics when you're working directly with executives to make strategic decisions that you just kind of have to do it to learn how to do it, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Vin, what do you think about, um, I guess, just transitioning into a more strategic role where you have to now not necessarily deal with the data, but deal with the people and try to help your stakeholders kind of understand how to actually get value from whatever data they're generating? You know, that's a, I stumbled around. I'll be completely honest. I kind of stumbled around to figure it out. Because when I was first talking to senior executives, I didn't speak the language. I was used to talking to other technical folks and technical leaders. I didn't really have a leader leader until like I was 10 years into my career. I just had a whole bunch of really great technical leaders who taught me a whole lot of about what I do for my job. And I think that was the first thing that I had to transition was my thinking away from, you know, leading a project being all about the technology and all about what you're going to do with these and how you're going to use these to get the job done. And architecture was really the only head work that you did was you would plan the project, you would plan what technologies you were going to use, how you were going to implement. And that was head work. But it's so different when it comes to strategy, because head work is literally trying to get in your competitors' heads. It's trying to understand every organization that you may help facilitate, I don't know, thinking, better decision-making. And so it's totally different. But what's interesting is data science, a lot of what a data scientist does and a lot of what a senior executive needs, it's the same thing. They need to understand data in the same way we understand data. They need to have a whole lot of the insights and the process that we have. And so kind of take your data science 
skills, strip out all the technical stuff and really run with the, I don't know, the philosophical side of data science, which is finding insights in data and then presenting those in a way that you think your company will end up making money off of and start listening for things like business goals and things that are interesting as far as revenue is concerned. And then all of a sudden you start, your, your thinking just kind of changes. That's what happened with me. Is as soon as I started thinking about it in terms of revenue, as soon as I started listening for goals, it, it, all of a sudden I was thinking strategically, just using my data science toolkit. And like I said, just get rid of all the technical stuff. John Sebastian, got a follow up question? Yeah, actually, uh, based on what you, you guys were discussing, so do you think that it's harder to get into? So let's just say you're a newcomer in the field. Uh, so would you say that it's harder to get that um, that business mentality or to start by being more in the technical position and then grow up to be uh, more uh, to, to get more of that, that business acumen. I think just quickly, uh, there's a bias against people that are really technical in the C-suite. Like there's definitely a technical ceiling. And so if you're talking all tech and you come from, hi, I'm a hardcore software developer, there is like a, a ceiling in most companies that you're going to bump your head against. And the only way I've found around that is just cash. They can't argue with cash and no one hates you for finding ways to make companies cash and save them cash. No one ever hates you for that. And that's really the way to break through that, that technical sort of ceiling is if you talk money, and I say this a lot, if you figure out what the person who you're reporting to bonuses on, what metrics do they make a bonus with? If you start talking directly to that, you can break through that ceiling and it changes your focus too, because all of a sudden when you stop talking about technology and you start talking about money and you start talking about business goals, and then you figure out, okay, I got to do something to get us to achieve those goals, but I can't use these. So all I've got is this. And suddenly you're thinking in the right direction and you can make that transition, but it's culture shock at the very beginning. And it's the same thing if you were purely on the strategy side and trying to show up and just start coding tomorrow, it would be the same culture shock. And if you can have somebody with you who's sort of knowledgeable, knows the territory, has been on the strategy side for a very, very long time, and you can trust them to be an advocate for you and to try to keep you out of some of those bear traps that you're going to run into very early on. That's an even better type of mentor to find. God damn, what a philosopher. That was a uh... <laughs> dog i'm telling you i was going through an existential crisis earlier today about this you know data stuff uh that was exactly what i needed to hear thank you so much for that um so angelo has a question related to something that vin was saying then after that we'll get into a question from mark hey so uh i'm currently exploring a hypothesis i think it's more like a business hypothesis and relates, I think, to uh, to the business side of data science. A lot of the projects might start as kind of, uh, let's explore these, let's do this, and you end up spinning spinning your wheels without actually being able to take this further. And it's kind of a chicken and egg. You're trying to convince the management or the leadership about uh, how, how you should do more things about data science or how you should invest more in data science. But then if you cannot articulate it in business terms or in our why then you end up spinning your wheels basically creating a POCA project that can never uh, actually add value now the, the the business hypothesis i'm exploring is would assist would some kind of a framework or process where you can actually 
identify your you know potential use cases, then kind of somehow qualify them and sort of quantify or tag some some potential ROI. Would that would that help in in kind of helping to kind of instead of not knowing which direction to go, at least pick one where you know it's going to add some value or it's going to help uh, move move uh, well shift the needle. So then create more business, uh, more more data, bring more data science and more data-driven projects into the business? Or is there one you've used in the past? Or how have you worked around kind of, you know, bringing the business on board with some, you know, they say, you know, low-hanging fruits and all these, but essentially until you articulate some business benefit or value, you cannot move further. Yeah. Dave, you want to give a give that a shot? I'll give that to either Dave or uh, Scott Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I've spent a good chunk you, of I've spent a good chunk of my career <clears throat> not only doing this for data projects but just technical projects in general, right? And it's a pain in the ass. I'm not going to I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's a pain in the ass. It's a very much a political game most of the time, depending on the nature of your organization. The bigger the company, the more it's about politics. So you got to go around and you got to talk to a lot of people. And you need to find out the lay of the land, like who actually controls what gets done. And sometimes it's not always who you think it is. Um, for example, one of the one of the lessons I learned early on, I don't know if it's appropriate for your situation is, if you can find somebody in finance to back your project, that is usually the most expeditious way to get something done because guess who controls all the money? <laughs> it's the finance people. So that's just an example of playing the political game of trying to find who's who in the zoo and who can help you out. But barring that, it really is literally like, Try to find the language of management, find a pain point that they have, find something that motivates them, and then start talking in their language and say, hey, look, my project can help you be more successful as measured by a KPI or some sort of goal that you have, that sort of thing. And then if you can, we used to use this terminology at a company I used to work at called Shell the Beach, which is you go around and you'd go talk to everybody individually, find out what their blockers are, what their why their defenses might be up to your project and tear those defenses down one at a time, person by person by person by person, because then eventually you get everybody in one room and you've already got everyone's defenses down and it's much more easy to get your project approved. Now, unfortunately, that's not a silver bullet, but most of the time when I did that and I did it well and I... <laughs> <laughs> it didn't piss anybody off. <laughs> it worked pretty well most of the time. Quick, quick so, follow up. So when when you when you got the right person, finance or other sort of business domain, and then you got to actually talk to them and understand a little bit about their business process, and uh, essentially talk through the benefits of your projects in terms of it will improve your process here, it will do that, it will save you from that, you'll get more transparency, your KPIs, you know, uh, yeah. Would you also? Would you also talk in terms of their actual sort of money value? I, if you do that in 10 hours and you do that now in five hours, you've saved X amount, for example, or things that are where they can actually, okay, fine. Business process is not always easy to say, right, yeah, if I do that in half of, basically it's either reduction in time or which translate into cost optimization or revenue generation. Mm -hmm. That. So this is, this is, I think, what Vin was trying to get at. You, you've hit on a really good point based on my experience, right? Just take this as one data point. Um, you have to change the way you talk depending on how, or depending on who you're talking to. So for example, what you just described, in my experience, finance people will love that. That's the way they live. And they tend to focus, in my experience, on cost rather than top line. Now, if you're talking to somebody in sales, 
that's a little bit more complicated because in my experience, they don't tend to be as rigorous in terms of. <laughs> They're not going to care about saving a half an hour on a process. I'll tell you that much. Right. And typically they're not going to, they're not, the only thing that's going to pay, the only thing that's going to catch their attention usually is a big fat number at the top line. So yeah. if your project isn't going to do that, um, you're not going to probably get a lot of success with salespeople. So yeah, you, you, you articulate a lot of things that are very good levers, depending on who you're talking to. If you're talking to finance, you can get to that level. You're talking to sales, it's got to be big numbers and you got to be excited and you got to wave your hands around. Salespeople love that kind of stuff. So just to back up what Dave was saying, man, like this is exactly what I'm currently going through at work, what Dave described going around talking to people and just understanding their pain points. Like I'm literally recording interviews with people and interviewing them as if they're like, you know, they don't know I'm interviewing them like their podcast guests, but essentially that's what I'm doing, trying to get inside their head and then just like transcribe those conversations, distill it down and really understand what the key pain points are and then try to help them understand how to make better decisions around that. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of work. Uh, so this, Next question is from from Mark around. Do you want me to say? I, I got an answer as part of that. If, if yes, I can absolutely add I something. Gonna, yeah, absolutely. So so there's three ways that uh, companies want to get value out of data because there's only three things that companies do: they grow, they improve, and they protect their brand. So if you're in sales, it's all about growth. If you're in finance, it's generally improvement. If you're talking to marketing and sometimes it's, or certainly in finance as well, it's mitigating risk. When somebody was asking about, do you need to get down to the, is it 10 hours or nine and a half or the exact ROI? My experience, and I come only from the business side is, no, you don't have to be that specific. Go, go act like you want to help and find out those problems and understand why what you're doing is important for your organization. Understand why what you can bring with data will help enable the strategic intentions of your enterprise. And the payout in a lot of cases is already there. So if your organization has said, we're going to, we're moving into e-commerce and you don't have the right data and you don't have the right insight and you can't cross sell and you don't have the all on the analytics, but they've, somebody's already figured out e-commerce is an opportunity and it puts some kind of funding around it and some kind of payback around it that you can just piggyback onto. And so I agree a thousand percent as usual with Dave's insight as well, which is it's political, but be a politician. I worked at Nielsen. I worked at Ben and Bradstreet. You can be a good politician. That's okay. You want to be kind of conniving and backstabbing, then you should, you don't belong anyway. Yeah. So, so when we're having these conversations with, with these various, you know, different personalities and stakeholders, like how do we figure out what their pain, pain points are? The type of questions that we come up with is it what data are you looking at or is it what decisions are you making or how do we yeah do we what decisions are you making it's not going to be should i use sql or is r better mm -hmm. you know they don't care about python and all that stuff that's the how focus on the why right you got to know the how otherwise you can't deliver but business people want to care about why and the higher you go the bigger the why needs to be and in a lot the and the bigger the company the more they've already told you what they're trying to do. So if you work for a public company of any sort, most of that information is around. Do your homework, read your annual report, find your investor day presentation, go back to the last you know company town hall you had and look at the first, you know, look at the page that marketing presented about what they're going to do and refine it. And then find the data pieces, the way the data can help that. And it, it's always there. So here's the incentive. Every company wants to deliver more value to their relationships through their brands at scale. You folks can help them with the scale part. Absolutely. That's where you come in because you've got, you know, data science. I'm from the data management side, but we're still part of the same group as far as business is concerned. 
It's an accelerant. It's a, what you do is in a business accelerant and it accelerates either being able to grow itself, improve or protect itself. I can go on for like three days on this, but that's kind of the summary where I think yeah. there's a lot of opportunity. So I, I really like this theme because um, like I'm going through this shit at work, right? Like I have to go and like literally interview stakeholders and figure out what their pain points are because we're trying to, you know, do a digital transformation, instill a data management program and do all that stuff. But it's challenging, man. Like a lot of what I've been doing for a long time, month or so, is just talking to people and trying to distill down what their pain points are and find some way to make life easier. But it's tough. That's the only way. That's the only way you can do it. So it's yeah. rare somebody come is going to come to you from sales and go, you know what? I need more data science. Yeah, I mean, and that's exactly where people skills for analytical thinkers comes into play, guys. Uh, so we'll do the first giveaway. I don't know how I'm going to figure this out, but somebody's going to get a book. Um, Rafid, can I add a point to that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so I guess all this time we're talking about customer pain points and stuff like that, but I guess this is a crucial and the crux problem for product managers, I guess. That's where PMs come in because end of the day, sometimes even customers don't know what they want. And I guess that's the hardest part of figuring out, right? So it's like data scientists need to have a sense of PM, product management, so that end of the day, you can solve customer problems and then add business insights as well. So I guess that's what I strongly believe in. Right they don't know. They know what they're looking for. That's part of your challenge. How do you take what you can do and what you know the techniques you have and help them get what they're looking for? So yeah, they're not going to come to you and say, "We need a new set of algorithms to provide this machine learning." But they just because that's not what they do, right? Just like you wouldn't go to them and go to marketing and say, "You know what? I really think you do is change your media mix and you should probably do the positioning differently." But there's a but there's a match there. There's a match go, there go, for sure. Go ahead, Tor. I know you had your hands uh, up before me. It was just. A comment because to me, you know, when it comes to language and speaking the right language with the right people, that is key. That there's no doubt about it. But in any conversation, when you start asking questions, to me, the goal is to get them to start asking questions. It is really about um, initiating conversation, giving them enough so that when you turn it around, you get other people to start asking you. Your customer starts asking you questions. That's when you can start going more into your own domain and start providing the more detailed information, uh, etc. But until you have that questioning from the customer, until that time, you really need to sell your project. That's what it's all about, giving them the the light approach, the keywords in their language. So, so what I wanted to share there is uh, to, to Angelo, what I find helpful is to build a scrappy solution yourself if you if you can help it. Um, and I can take a quick example of on my case. So I've supported a, a, a global team of sales folks before and you're going to find a lot of them saying, oh, I'm too busy for you, but there's going to be that one person who's going to be willing to show you their current process especially the how they make decisions. And when you sit there, you're going to be enlightened in how you can improve their process and you're going to build that better solution. So in my case, I watched them painfully gather data into an Excel sheet to know how to quote a commodity product where customers can be quick to go to a competitor if you wait too long to give them a quote. So when I watched the process, it took them a week to two weeks to get to different people, whether it's marketing, uh, transportation, uh, finance, 
the cost uh, uh, for cost, uh, the transportation network and everything to, to get to everything to un- under one roof. So I was like, okay, I can build something that's better than this. Learned, uh, and don't forget, business folks, they love uh, visualization tools. They, they can connect to that very, very well, right? And um, if you can show them a quick way to get data, to make decisions fast there, you're going to get their attention. That's one. And then to, 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 and then you can build on top of that and make it more complicated. So what I did, I just built dashboards and what took them weeks to f- make a quote for a customer. It took them one day to just look at it, plug in numbers and then get a response. And then I was like, okay, we can build a project where we can make it more complicated. What if we could predict? What if we could uh, have visibility around uh, the, the stock market, predict the price we could give to our customers, but also watch the profit, how the profit moves, understand how much rebate we can make, we can give. So this way it became a project that everybody jumped on because now you're bringing in the machine learning, you're bringing in more complications into it. But start simple, start small and show them how you can kind of give them a quick response, a quick you know, visibility on how uh, uh, the, the profit ticks. And then, and then you go from there, you build on top of that. Yeah, definitely. I want to definitely hear from, from Brandon on this. But I mean, what if the thing you need to figure out in your role is what to put on that dashboard? Like, what is the number that they actually care about, right? I think that like trying to solve that question is that's where a lot of interviews and, and yeah, that's that's the challenging part to me, I think. But uh, let's hear from Brandon and then from, from uh, Vin. Yeah, I just want to point out that right now we're talking about data scientists as like a business person, right? Pointing out the ROI. And last week we were talking about Docker and technical details. And it makes it sound as if, God, I got to know everything. I'm supposed to be like a business guy and a data. But there's also, don't forget data scientists as the team member and the team leader. So if I need to talk in my organization to uh, a business person, I don't I don't have to go by myself, right? I've worked with business people before. You know, I know which ones understand data and data science and and how it all works. And I asked that person to go with me to set up the introduction, what have you. And the same with uh, technical issues, right? Um, I work with software engineers. If I have issues with Docker, I go to them and and ask them about that. Uh, If I need to make dashboards, I know BI people in the company within my team. And, uh, you know, I can ask them for help making dashboards or maybe they know something more about what I know, right? So you do need to know a little bit of everything. And that's part of being a data scientist. But you, it, don't forget about building a team around you, allies and such that can help you uh, do what you need to do as well. Absolutely, man. It's very, very beautifully put point. Then you had your hand up. Yeah. For your question, when you said, what if you have to figure out you know, what to put on that dashboard or what information <laughs> to put on? All right. Decision chain. So in any given problem that you have in a business, there is a decision chain. And the whole point of a dashboard is to support one part of, or maybe multiple parts of that decision chain. And so that's what you want to start with is what's the decision chain. And as a result of that decision, what happens? What's the business output of this particular decision? And so now once you kind of figured out, okay, we make this decision, this happens, you want to measure the impact of this happens with respect to that particular decision. Because there's a way to score decision quality. The perfect decision is 100 over 100. And so figuring out what to put on that dashboard is all about figuring out how to score a decision based on business outcomes and then proving those data points improve the quality of decision being made. And so this isn't just like a short-term thing. You're going to support the data on your dashboard kind of initially with some hypotheses, but measure decision quality 
And that dashboard is going to get better and better and better. And you're going to be able to support the reason why this dashboard's here, why people should listen to that dashboard. And it's all about that decision score. Get people really used to looking at a decision score and then seeing cash right next to it. And every time that decision score gets better, the cash, you see that big pile getting bigger. And that works really well for dashboards, especially at the very beginning when companies aren't used to using data to make decisions. They may not even be making decisions with data, maybe opinion driven at this point and data seeking. But that really turns things around because then you're justifying all your data points and explaining how this dashboard, how these data points are used by these people to make better decisions. It's great human in the loop and it leads to a whole lot better outcomes. Decision quality, measuring decision quality, break that down for me a little bit more. Like, what, Is that just a KPI? Would that consider decision quality or? So there's an outcome, right? So if I'm making a decision about spending some cash on, let's go marketing. I'm making some a decision about spending some cash on a particular type of marketing. Now, how should I make that decision? How should I figure out how much cash to put into marketing type one, marketing type two, marketing type three, even more granular? How should I figure out who I should target? Who should I put special offers in front of? Who are, you know, how am I going to spend this pile of cash? And the whole point is to optimize the return of spending that pile of cash. But at the end of the day, there are people at the very top of this pyramid who have to make a decision about how to allocate all of this cash. And now you have to track all of that spend. Those decisions are now driving a particular spend strategy. And you now have to track how effective was that? What happened last year based on this decision that we made, based on this data here, this is what happened this year or this quarter or this month, depending upon how far you're going out. And now you have a decision quality score. It resulted in an X percentage improvement. Well, what was your projection? What did you project? If I did this, your uh, customer revenue would increase by, or your retention would increase by, or pick your metric. What did I predict it would increase by? And you have this range. When you make a prediction about how much you think this spend is going to make a difference, you have a range. You have your top end, you have your expected, and then you have your underperform. Now, based on the decisions we made, based on this decision or this data, how did we do? You know, in 100 over 100 is that top end of the range. And if it underperformed, that's obviously a very close to zero score. We made a bad decision. Why did we make a bad decision? And that's where you go back to the data and you say, okay, we made our decision based on this data. Why? didn't that result in a better quality decision? And that's your decision quality score, is that tangible connection between your model metrics and your actual business metrics. And that's how you make that connection and start measuring decision scores and decision outcomes, decision quality. I think there's a lot of little buzz terms for this, but that's really what you're measuring is we made a call. We made it based on this data. Was it good, bad, or ugly? Man, thank you so much. I appreciate that. That was phenomenal. Um, Dave, do you want to add anything to that? Because I know you're all about the KPIs and crafting good KPIs as well. Uh, then after Dave, we'll go into uh, Akshay's question. Yeah. So in terms of dashboards, um, I'm a big believer in the advice that you need between three and five KPIs, well-crafted three and five well-crafted KPIs. And generally speaking, that's pretty much all that should be on a dashboard for any manager slash decision maker. One of the biggest mistakes I see is people want to turn 
dashboards into operational reports, okay? Using the SQL Server stack as an example, because that's what I'm familiar with. SSRS exists for a reason, SQL Server reporting services. That's where your operations go. Power BI is for dashboards, not for operations. So you want three to five KPIs. Generally speaking, you're going to want visualizations that characterize the behavior of the business over time vis-a-vis those KPIs. Myself, I'm a big fan of the process behavior chart. I'm sure all of you guys that follow me on LinkedIn know that. And usually my dashboards, three to five process behavior charts shows how the business is going vis-a-vis the goals over time. And those are awesome because then you would usually just literally flip them up in an executive meeting and you'd be like, crap, we're trending down. And we know in a statistically significant way, we're trending down. That's bad. That sort of thing. So um, that's how I typically build dashboards, especially for um, data-driven decision-making. And the higher that you go up in the hierarchy, the more that those, those simple dashboards that communicate how the business is doing over time, they become more and more important in my experience anyway. Thank you very much for that. Um, Mark, you have a related question to this? Uh, yeah, so this has been such a great conversation because I'm, I'm going through exactly this, um, similar to our pre- for my, at my current job since January. Um, but with a slight twist, uh, the key stakeholder, the, the final key stakeholder I need to um, kind of get buy-in from is from engineering, actually. Um, and so <clears throat> I've done the politicking. I've done the interviews for since January um, of trying to figure out how to improve our data warehouse and data pipelines. Um, there's been a lot of my questions <laughs> in office hours, even down to identifying a vendor to help out with certain point points. Even, and we're actually doing a, a demo uh, with our or with our live data, so really far along, um, we p- finally scoped out the issues. I have the solution. I presented it, and this is the response I essentially got: "Was uh, wow, this is great. We should totally do this. Um, when can engineering do this?" <laughs> and so, which is completely okay. I don't care who does it. I just need it done because it impacts my work as a data scientist. But engineering is so impacted and spread thin. If it's up to engineering, it'll be next year when it's done. Um, and my manager and I are both like, Mark, you can totally upskill and, and do this yourself. Um, but engineering, because they're the one with the pagers, <laughs> if something breaks, they're, they're a little more hesitant. Um, and so my question is, how do you build in that buy-in from, from more of the technical leaders to say, like, as a data scientist, you can totally do this. Um, I have some strategies my manager and I are going to be implementing in the next couple of months to hopefully make that switch. But I'm really curious what others think of, about that. I have the exact same question as he does. So whoever wants to take this, please do. Scott Scott Taylor, are you still in the house? Yeah, hey, I have a quick uh, follow-on question to that really quick, Mark. Oh, shit. Carlos is here. What up? Go for it. Hey, man. Uh, hey, I'm here. I'm good. I don't have an answer to that question, but I'm listening. Can you you tell us more about how you've confirmed that something that like is your priority is above their priorities? Like how well do you understand their work? And like, it sounds like you're thinking that they're like they're wrong for putting it at a priority level. It takes them a year to do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I think that's a really great point. And actually like in my last one-on-one with my manager, like that was the exact question I was asking. I'm like, Hey, am I over biasing to the importance of this? Cause I'm so close to it. And this impacts me like where, where does it fit on this? Um, and kind of since I got was, you know, actually this, this is pretty important because um, for the data warehouse that we have, this prevents other people besides technical folks from accessing data and making these data-driven decisions. And as we're scaling as a startup, these, these data-driven decisions are starting to become more important. And as we get more enterprise customers, um, having access to data to answer these kind of basic questions 
is getting harder and harder. And so that's kind of the, the pain point is that uh, it's important because one, as we're building product, we need to see like, is our product working? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And it's hard to do that right now to access the data. And so um, those are kind of the reasonings behind it. But um, I think like, I think it's one of those situations of like at a startup, everything's a priority. <laughs> everything's broken. Everything needs to be fixed. Um, and like among all the like top one priorities was like 0.9 priority. <laughs> Um, and that's kind of like the challenge we're facing uh, Mark, are you, for that. Mark, are you working with like product managers in? Uh, we just got a VP of products okay. last month, which is exciting. And uh, we got buy-in from him as well. Can okay. you show that's... how what you're talking about, how access to that data is going to help with all, with a bunch of those other priorities, existing priorities. Yeah. So that your ability to expose data and give more to the business will will help three of the top five things that you're doing. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and then you don't other... become a priority on your own. You become an mm-hmm. enabler of other priority. And then it goes beyond engineering. Because if you're a startup, you may not have a next year. hate to chill you with that fact, but you know that's how startups work. So if engineering yeah. thinks, oh yeah, we'll get to it in 2022, there might not be a 2022 with that kind of attitude. So, uh, and, and to give context to like the importance, like a major table I use for all my analyses and like dashboards, um, it went down this week. And so uh, we couldn't access, I had to push, basically push out all my projects for an analytics next week um, until it got resolved. So like there is this need, it's starting to reach its limit um, for, for where it's currently at and like trying to convince uh, like technical teams of like, all right, we need to shift away from all our product and, and we're already stressed with all this to so just to work on this one thing. Um, it's a hard sell for them because they're already stretched thin. Hey, hey Mark, uh, the way I would approach this is kind of like figure out who, whoever is on top in terms of product management and understand the rationale behind impact and effort when it comes to prioritizing, you know, uh, 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 you know, improving a, a product, right? And trying to understand what what is the rationale behind prioritizing. And it seems like there's a disconnect between what you're pitching here and the, the people at the top making the decision on how to prioritize. So if you can clearly paint the picture, ver- you know, between effort versus impact of your idea, maybe you can and understand what the current structure is. Maybe you'll have a better understanding of why you feel like, you know, or, or why yours is, is, is put down. So it, it, it could be a, a better approach for you to, to try to understand the current, current uh, rationale uh, of these two uh, inside of a matrix and then see where you fit uh, with, with your idea. And, 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 you know, then you can start working on convincing people that, you know, uh, 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 yours should be pu- pulled up ver- uh, based on how uh, impactful it will be for the whole organization or just all the products you're you're, you're managing. That's that's all these answers have been really helpful. Yeah, and I, it's just engineering is the one group I haven't been able to like flip. <laughs> and when I talk to them, I feel like I'm just not connecting um, compared to all my other conversations where it just flows. Oh, I see. Dave, Dave want to say something too. So take this as one data point, Mark. But from somebody who's worked in data warehousing, somebody who's tried to get to telemetry implemented, um, your best bet is to get your own engineers, quite frankly, because product managers and engineers that are focused primarily on developing features, which supposedly drives the top line, which by the way, is not always the case, believe it or not, just because people build features doesn't mean it makes more money. Okay. So, which is what I use data to do sometimes is to prove that by the way, 
generally speaking, they're not going to prioritize analytics types of scenarios because the payoff is too far down the road. They're going to focus on what they're going to focus on. So usually the best bet is to get your own engineering team, which is why, for example, data engineers exist in the first place right now as a new type of job because this is what they do. Their focus is on making the data flow for a downstream benefit, whereas you still have software engineers working separately, building features and releasing them for the product. So one of the things you could do, this is a strategy that I've done before, um, is I just built it all myself. And then when it crashed and somebody that like, I went, so this is a true story, by the way. Okay. Um, I built a bunch of stuff and I went on vacation and I purposefully left my pager behind. I mean, it wasn't a pager, but you get the idea. And when it crashed and the CFO couldn't get the data he wanted, guess what happened? (laughs) Change. That's, uh, that's, that's awesome. That, that's kind of the current point I'm, I'm at is like, all right, I just want to build it myself because it, it prevents me from doing my job. And uh, maybe like the angle I'm trying to take is like, all right, I can't convince engineering to prioritize it. Can I convince engineering to allow me just to build it myself? Don't ask for permission. Ask for forgiveness. Excellent. Excellent discussion. I do want to keep it going around this track about KPIs. Angelo had a amazing question. Uh, sorry. So I'll read it out in a second. And I love the conversation. I followed that, but quick break. Got a shout out for uh, Kenji, who's given us 10 free courses to his um, to his How to Start a Career in Data Science Bootcamp. Here it is right here. Here's the link for that. Uh, the first 10 people to get that can get it for free. And Dave is also very, very generous. He's hooking us up with 50% off from the from Excel to ML bundle. Here's a link for that. And the coolest, the coolest uh, coupon code ever. There you go. That is a coupon code uh, without that slash at the end there. Um, so Angelo's question was essentially around benchmarking KPIs. Um, that is something that I'm also struggling with. I'm trying to understand how to benchmark those KPIs. Um, so do you want to go for it, Angelo? Yeah, uh, it was it was off the back of that conversation earlier at, at some points that Ben and Dave mentioned. And I was trying just to think, surely you need to uh, capture and understand a little bit of the of the current business process and how how business people are thinking about it. They have their, you know, even if they don't have defined KPIs, they know what success means for them. Although it can be hugely improved, uh, maybe they haven't quantified it, they haven't put a framework, they haven't you know created a system around it, but they know what success is and they know what failure is. And surely it needs to start from from that, understanding that process, and then walk backwards and see. Uh, and, uh, is this is this how is this a starting point for measuring for creating a benchmark for your models? Because essentially, although it could be a very low bar, if it's just a matter of automation, you have to start with somewhere. So let's uh, let's go to Vin, and then uh, we'll go to Dave after that because you guys had some really good uh, responses here. Yeah, the first thing I'm going to point out is that the business. Don't assume the business knows how to make money. That's the worst assumption you can make is that the business knows how to make money just because they are. A lot of businesses sort of fail their way forward into revenue, and especially in startups. This is the case. Startups will fail their way forward into revenue. And then all of a sudden stuff stops working. And that's when they hire data scientists. And it's the same thing in very large companies. They'll fumble their way forward on a product or you know, an initiative. And then all of a sudden, mysteriously, it stops working. And that's really what you want to think about is what's your starting point? How good are all these assumptions? Do these KPIs have any evidentiary support 
at all. When you say this is what we want to lean on, you know, especially if you look at any one of the bigger data-driven companies and they throw out a KPI, if you ask, why do we measure that? You get, you get somebody who is crazy smart about that one KPI who has done maybe six months of work on one KPI. And that's really how data-driven sounds is there is an evidentiary support for every single one of those KPIs. And so don't just start from what the business has understand the business model. That's where you start at. Understand the business model, understand how the business spends money and how the business makes money. And it's not always, they don't always make money from the way that they spend money. So there's not always an initial connection there either. And these are all of these assumptions that you're going to have to peel away. And so anytime you're given this, here are the KPIs we're interested in. You're you're stuck narrative-wise talking to those KPIs from the very beginning. But those KPIs are not necessarily accurate, nor are are they things that you want to hit your data projects to? Because you can hobble a model with a couple of bad assumptions that come from what's called conventional business knowledge. So validate everything, get an evidentiary support for any KPI that you end up using as I want to predict this, or I'm going to use this as an input to my model, validate everything because it's not always right. And those assumptions, no matter how fanatically the business believes in, are just assumptions unless somebody can support it. So when it comes to like understanding the business model, is that a matter of just saying, okay, you are, let's say, uh, discrete manufacturing, right? What's the marginal cost of replication of each one of your widgets? How are you tracking how that trends up and down? Like, what do you mean? No, I mean, you got to go to customers sometimes. I've been in businesses that were so, well, business units, excuse me. I've been in business units that were so broken that I had to go to the customer to figure out what the customer pays for. Because especially with software products, the understanding of why a customer pays you cash within the business and in the customer's mind can be two totally different things. And especially with an older product line, that can be the case. And so business model is really the company spends money. How does the company spend money? How does it decide where to spend money? And it's usually KPIs tell the business, this is how you should, you should spend money. And they'll build strategies around that sometimes, which is backwards, but it, you know, it is what it is. You run into businesses and they do things differently sometimes. But you also then have, why do customers pay? Why, how do we generate revenue? And that's your business model. It may not be the business model that the CEO would describe to you. Like one, famously, the CEO of, of Radio Shack, when he took over way, way back when, he was asked, how do you make money? And he said, I have no idea. <laughs> and that was, and that's a great starting point because he was honest. He said, I don't know why our customers come here. And then he went forward figuring it out. And that's sometimes what you have to do is you have to, with data, figure out the business model. And that can start going to the customer. Like you might be doing some really hanky surveys to figure out where value is being created for people that are paying you. And that's your business model. It's how you produce what you produce and why do your customers pay for it? And that's all the easiest way to start is how do we decide what to spend money on? And then why do our customers pay for whatever it is? Why, why do, how do we generate revenue? Why do they give us money? Who gives us money sometimes is where you have to start. And why, why are they giving us cash? Let's take that exact same logic and apply it now to the fact that if you're carving out a data practice in a larger organization, the larger organization is your customer and your internal cost center. How do we help them understand the value of all this effort that we plan on undertaking? You are not a cost center. 
You are never, never, ever, ever use the words cost center. If somebody says you're a cost center, you say, well, then stop spending money on me. Fire me. If you think I don't make you any money, fire me now. Get me out the door. But let me show you how I can return some value. You're not a cost center. And that conversation is one of the most important ones that you have to have early and often. Anytime you hear those words, no, I am not a cost center. I'm going to save you cash and I'm going to make you money. Let me show you how. And a lot of times it's really revealing all of these things that the business thought was real, but aren't. And you have to do that. Like I said, you have to, even if you are serving internal customers, those internal customers still get budget from somewhere. There is a decision made to give them cash. And that money that's being given to them comes from some sort of revenue source. You have to start there sometimes. It's really that bad. Sometimes you have to start at the ground floor. And it sounds like I'm just kind of playing with what you're saying. It sounds like that's where you are. Your business may not 100% understand how they make money. And that's where you seriously just go grab data. And sometimes that means talking directly to customers. If you've got a product manager, awesome. They're going to make this a hundred times easier. They may offer you like wine after work if you do this for them, because this is huge. But find your advocates who understand the problem the way you do, which is the business doesn't know how it makes money because that's a big problem. No one wants to hear it in those terms, except for those advocates. Those advocates are like, oh, thank God someone else is saying this. The people who are going to be able to help you actually implement data science, machine learning, whatever it is that you're going to end up doing to solve the problem of they don't know how do they make money. They just want to hear, hey, if we do things just a little bit differently, we're going to make more money. And that's that's the conversation you're going to have with the people that are going to continue to write your check. And that's how you're not going to be a cost center because you're continually going to be that person who says, if we make decisions in a smarter way using evidence here, and I have it too, like, I'm not going to make it hard for you. You're not going to have to pay me a ton of money to give you evidence. I do that for a living. And you give them the data that they need and they're going to love you, but it's a different message. I absolutely love that, man. Thank you so much for that. Um, I see if uh, Greg has any input here. I saw you type something into the chat, Greg. It looks uh, looks related to this. Go for it. Yeah. So, so you know, there's, there's nothing like data, right? So uh, for me, um, I do believe that uh, someone who knows how to interview on the inside um, or the business side and, and, and extract insight from them and take that insight and um, confirm it with data it is very well positioned to learn how to speak the business language, right? So if you're already on the data science side, uh, you can know how to interview your internal teams on the business side to extract these insights, grab data and, and, and you know, uh, prove, prove these points, right? And, um, you know, for, for me, data can really, and understanding the business model, the processes will definitely give you a lot of uh, enlightenment. So previously I was saying in, in, the, in the comment that I've managed uh, different portfolios and uh, just digging into the data, um, I, I saw some products that were, we were producing all the time that were generating negative profit. We're issuing, we were having losses. At the same time, some, some products were highly, highly profitable. And uh, digging into it, I saw uh, customer X was buying both of these products and asking business folks, sales folks questions on to why are we tolerating that? It, it's actually to not lose this customer. We're taking a loss on this product. Because if we if we lost them, they would go to a competitor, uh, and 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 at this point, we would lose on that highly profitable uh, 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 product. So um, again, you know, it's a it's a combination of 
um, interviewing the right people and also manipulating data in, to discover in, in um, confirming whatever uh, uh, the assumptions that you would receive from a salesperson. Because most of the time what they say is based on the, I feel like, I think I've seen this before and take these uh, dig into the current processes and discover and put a stamp on it with data. So that's the way I see it. Man, like no, no joke. I was having a existential existential crisis today at work, uh, and you guys have greatly helped me. Thank you very much. Appreciate all this insight. Uh, let's go to Akshay for his question. I know he's been waiting quite patiently. Then after Akshay, we'll go to Greg for Greg's question, and then Tor. For sure. Uh, first off, Harpreet. Um, happy anniversary to your show. It's It's been a fantastic ride. And uh, thank you, everybody who's been participating. Um, so this has been an amazing discussion so far because I can relate with what I'm going through this week. Um, I have an interview next week where I am supposed to organize all the thoughts we discussed in the last hour in a 30-minute case study. Um, and that's with a finance team. So I like that this time I'm making an impact in the finance, which is actually driving the business. Um, so the role is more focused on internal controls, and I am tasked with identifying different processes, stakeholders, risks within the organization, and then coming up with a framework that's going to be built from scratch and pushed upwards to different levels within the organization uh, to make sure there is a compliance program um, using technology. So it involves working with stakeholders, identifying risks, defining processes, um, defining KPIs and building lots and lots of dashboards. Um, so everything that we just discussed in the last hour, I want help in how I can get organized in a 30 minute conversation to lead this kind of discussion. And the only source I have is a Google doc. So I won't have access to web sources or 20 people to brainstorm ideas with. It's going to be me leading the conversation and using one Google Doc to put my ideas and open doors for the next meeting. So I guess what I'm looking at here is what collaboration tips do you have for Google Docs to get interactive with maybe flowcharts or diagrams? And if anyone has worked on similar case studies, what tips do you have to start with a high level solution and then kind of drill it down using only 30 minutes? That's the biggest challenge for me. So a live interactive presentation on the, uh, yeah. on the spot. Wow. All right, Greg, let's hear from you. And the best way you could do this actually is before that time, you're going to have to do a lot of around the job work where you have to contact one by one and get alignment before you do the big thing. So, so figure out like who are the movers? So, you, you mentioned compliance. So I'm like, I'm in compliance too. So make sure you get legal on your side. Okay. Make sure you get legal uh, finance, have those little workshops with them first and then bring everybody in uh, together when you're ready. So that's the quick, that's the quick thing I can tell you. Uh, you're going to have to do an offline work before you do, you do this because you, you from what I'm understanding the day of, you're going to have a short period, a short time where people will see your results we're, well, work around that before then and, and get buy-ins. When you talk about legal and just kind of getting um, conversations or narratives with them, I won't have access to these people during the interview and I can definitely do my research on the company and their structure before heading into the interview. But would, are you kind of linking this towards defining process narratives as to how somebody from a legal team would look at data coming in from um, inventory or product or marketing and how that is compliant based on the regulations that the, the particular company is being governed by. So would defining process narratives be a good approach um, in a Google Doc conversation? Is that what you're getting towards? 
Yeah, so it's all around the, the, the language, right? So who's exposed, who's at risk? Uh, are, you putting, are you putting the company at risk? Uh, what is the what is the what is what does the legal language sound like for whoever is going to consume uh, the end product that you're going to present at that time? So uh, is it is it is it bound by any restrictions, et cetera, et cetera? Once you get that buy-in, you'll be able to draw it a little bit better. Okay, that that makes sense. And is there like some sort of a framework that um, that is established for these kind of situations, or that will depend on how the organization leads it? I mean, it's going to be open for me. It's just for an interview. But is there any preference for frameworks in this case? Not not that I know of. Um, I kind of. I am pro dumbing it down for legal because they don't like complications. They don't like technical terms um, and then let them lead you. Right. So I like to truncate them into some sort of, okay, this is the policy based on this policy. This rule will be enforced. If you keep it at that framework, it's simple enough for legal team to understand and, and take it from there. Okay. Got it. And how about automating these processes? So defining them and establishing them with different stakeholders is one part, but now once they are built from the ground, they need to be pushed upwards as the company grows so there's scalability and there's automation using maybe machine learning or just advanced tools that make reporting easy. So you don't have to write create dashboards all the time. There can be a central repository and just extract certain KPIs as per the financial reports that you require and then make those reporting. So what do you suggest? Yeah. So, so for this, so uh, again, alignment around the policy is what you need first. Um, how I would approach my audience and gain alignment first with legal is we have a problem. Right. And we have a solution that we can bring uh, that is technology and, and, and that technology will need to enforce uh, that solution based on a series of policies. Uh, so then a lawyer will say, well, what is the policy? The policy is X, Y, Z. So if this happens, then we will reinforce. OK, then you say, OK, what are you going to reinforce this policy on? What are the products? What is the impact? What is the marketplace? You want to enforce that policy. Once you draw that, it's kind of like a stepping step uh, uh, function in, uh, uh, of policies that they can see what is impacted as a whole inside of these policies. And then you take that policy, gain alignment, alignment from everybody. And that policy is what that technology is going to be built on. But you can't build that technology without alignment around these policies. So you have to know why are you coming up with this policy? So what is the problem you're solving and what is affected by that policy? And when, when is that policy enforced? What are the exceptions to enforcing those policies? And how do you reverse that policy when the rules are met? So once you have that, you're good to go to okay. build on top of that with technology. Thanks, Greg. That's very helpful. And then one final point, uh, what kind of risks should I be pointing out in my case interview. Uh, everybody likes to listen about operational risks and financial risks, but bringing these conversations and then actually talking about those things is different unless you have that knowledge. So maybe if you can tell, like, what are the two key risks that organizations uh, have in terms of compliance? A lot of the, the one of the risks that people don't talk about a lot is uh, risk of loss opportunity. Um, so for risk, it's kind of hard uh, for uh, technical folks or people with money to approve uh, a budget, right, for a risk tool or risk technology. But when you play on the look, if you don't give me a way to scale the way I audit my products, we will end up enforcing our uh, uh, rules. And when we enforce our rules, we lose X amount of money when we enforce our rules. So giving us a way to 
uh, scale, the way we measure uh, the risk we're incurring uh, will allow us to uh, avoid enforcing on products where you will lose, uh, uh, um, uh, lose opportunities. So if you play on the loss opportunity of sales, uh, that moves the needle a lot. Because when it comes to risk, uh, what people don't understand is that um, you, you, you don't know what you don't know until something bad happens, right? Uh, you get a fine by the government. It costs you, that one fine costs you $10 million. If it happened, then you can use that $10 million to uh, say, hey, um, look what just happened. I can build technology to prevent that from happening again. So that's an easy case. But what about the other ones, the other products that might be exposed to the same uh, 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 fine that you received recently, right? So is that is this is the bucket that you want to play play with. So you want to say there might be products out there that might be exposed and we don't know of them. In order to know of them, we estimate that this bucket is worth X amount of dollars in sales. And if we do an audit right now, we will discover that we will need to uh, uh, stop the sales of these products. And this is, um, this is what it's going to cost you. By giving me money to build technology to make sure that these products are compliant, we will avoid taking those down because of non-compliance. Okay, so budget, scope, resources in terms of technology, and the risks involved. I think all of these- Risk of loss of opportunity, yes. Together when it comes to defining. Okay, yeah, that's that's very helpful. I guess I just have to keep researching more um, and practice it because it, it, the real challenge is just narrowing it down in a 30-minute conversation. Uh, if I had more time, there's always more room to have conversations and have more uh, more approaches. But let's see. I'll, I'll keep you guys posted how that goes. Thank you so much. You got it, man. Best of luck. Yeah, right there is compliance as a service. Greg, thank you very much, man. Um, next question. Actually, Greg, you do have the next question. Uh, but before we get to that question, shout out to uh, Andrew Jones. He's hooking us up with 50% off of his course. You can go here. I'll drop the link and the discount code in the chat for that. Um, but Greg, go for it. So I'm changing the gears a little bit. So uh, this is around data engineering. Um, I'm, I'm seeing a trend of a lot of people saying data engineering is super important. We need more. We need more. Um, they're get, they, they have a good salary and uh, uh, there could be enough. But at the same time, there's this rise of startups also saying we can automate pipelines. You don't need that. All you need is an analyst that can do plug and play uh, build a lake, a data lake house, uh, and then uh, build on top of that. Uh, run analytics, uh, build ML on top of that, and uh, we're replacing the data engineer. So, really, when I hear this, what is what is the what is the way to go there? Do you do you hire data engineers and train them for a future, or do you uh, license a tool that automates the the pipelines on your behalf? Dave is shaking his head. Yeah, I wish I wish Joe was uh, here for that, but go for it, Dave. It's bullshit, Greg. To be quite, <laughs> give it to me, man. They've been they've been talking about this for I don't know how long, right? No code tools, low code tools, all that kind of stuff. You can definitely get tools that help accelerate things. Absolutely. However, in the end, you're always going to need someone that's going to type. You have to have somebody that does that. Yeah. There so is there is nothing that exists that actually gets rid of a data scientist or a software engineer in entirety. This doesn't happen. So take it with a grain of salt. Um, uh, hopefully Ben's not on the on the call because he works for one of these auto kinds of companies. <laughs> he dropped off. So, 
<laughs> okay, I'm, I'm safe. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, just keep that in the back of your mind. So, so Dave, and, and, and it's interesting you say that. And what's, what I'm trying to understand is how are these startups still being born and, and getting money, getting funding? Like you, you hear your Series B, you get $35 million and, and to, to help automate those pipelines. But at the same time, like how do you affect the other people who are looking to hire data engineering uh, engineers to, to do these jobs? That's what I don't understand. How did, how do they get money? Must be uh, well, so for, so let's not that I've ever used this product before, but I've just kind of looked at it. So like take Alteryx as an example. Um, they've, they've experienced rapid sales and do they accelerate certain scenarios with their drag and drop tools and lower the bar in terms of technology and software engineering? Yes, they absolutely do. And you pay for it. So there is, there is the potential upside if you're a VC to say, look, if this company hit on the secret sauce, they can then go sell this tool to companies and managers that are afraid of this idea that I need to have, I need to hire smart engineers and keep them on staff and keep them happy and that kind of thing. So there is a market for it. Make no mistake. However, the first time you run into an edge case and you always will over a long enough timeline, you will always run into at least one edge case and you usually run into a lot of edge cases. These tools have programming language widgets that you can drop in for a reason. You can drop Python and R code and SQL code into these tools for a reason. It's because that's their exit strategy when you run into these edge cases. So you can never really get away from having an engineer, someone with engineering background, even if you give them a really cool drag and drop, no code, low code tool to work mm. with. It's usually really expensive, but you have to have them for these edge cases. So from that perspective, um, I would say, sure, buy if buy buy one of these products if you got budget for it and you think it's going to save you money because maybe you need less headcount, that could be the true, but it's never going to be zero headcount. You're always going to need an engineer, at least one, usually more than one, because that one goes on vacation sometimes. Share from, from Vin on this one. I'm not going to do too spicy of a hot take, but yeah. Um, okay. So here's the biggest problem that MLOps has right now when it comes to the tools landscape part of it. There is no such thing as a comprehensive tool. Every tool is one feature away from being complete. And it's always one feature away because every business right now has a different need. And so they would have to do completely customized stack in order to, you know, so there is this landscape around right now for tons and tons of tools, which is why VCs love it. Because like I said, everything's one feature away. And so if you have that, that piece of software that fits in your ML stack just perfectly, you're going to buy it because the the business prop is there right now. The reason we have so much ML ops right now is because our models are garbage. If you put a garbage model in production, you need Hercules and Atlas holding both ends of this thing to keep it from crashing because it needs to be continuously monitored, retrained. And so what we're really finding is that we have garbage models and now that they're in production, we got to make them work. And that's what MLOps is right now, but that's not what MLOps should be. What MLOps should be is really facilitating this end-to-end creation of a model. And that's right now, it's all back-end heavy and that's where the tools are right now. But you're going to see that flip very quickly to front end. I mean, you hear people like Andrew Ng talking about how we need to be data centric. We need to be focused on data. And that's really step one is that pipeline. But it's not the pipeline that any one of the vendors out there right now is describing because they miss the process of curation and creating a catalog and then automating a connection between catalog, the metadata about what's available out there, what you could be gathering 
and improving a model, improving model quality. That, when you see that sort of language start coming out, where we're talking about automating not only discovery, but also quality scoring, and then understanding how to automatically do some feature engineering and then assessment for improvements in model quality and being able to build that sort of a pipeline, that's really where MLOps is going to start going is facilitating that because there's no way a person can do that. I don't care how good your ML engineers are or how many of them you have. That's a lot of work. When you think about how much available data is out there and trying to evaluate that, I mean, that's what your pipeline needs to automate. And that's not even something that we're covering yet. And so that's where tools are going to end up going is sort of that front end of the pipeline process and being able to give data scientists the ability to do quality models that we don't have to band-aid with massive MLOps solutions in production. But we're still a ways away from that because no one's really sure how to make that happen, how to make that work in a reproducible, repeatable manner. We've all got best guesses right now. So I think that's, you know, that's what you're seeing everyone work out is how we're going to do this. I absolutely love that, man. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you, Van. Yeah, let's go to, uh, actually, let's go to uh, Varun. Varun. And then after Bruno, we'll go to tour. Thank you, Harpreet. Uh, congratulations again for your one anniversary. Harpreet and I go long back, like more than two years ago, just when I started my data science journey. And now, after two years, I'm writing a book. And this book is about technology industry and making it more accessible to each and every person out there. So basically, the whole idea behind this book is to make sure that people with little or no resources those who cannot afford very good college degrees as well, they get a very simple and unique step-by-step guide to break into the tech industry while empowering women in technology and also making sure the LGBTQ community are empowered as well. So the whole idea is not just to incorporate data science into this, but also software engineering, product management, quantum computing, a lot of different things at one concise resource. And this book, I believe, needs is going to impact a lot of people, especially students. Because one thought I keep believing is that even in high school, they're going to be not just about like physics and maths. It's down the line, it's surely going to be about computer science as well. People are going to learn about all these topics from young age. And I want to make sure that those kids, especially those kids, gain access to these resources right from young age. And that's the whole reason why I start to write this book. And now I'm officially launching this book this August. And... I am, I just need your support, right? I am launching this book and I've started a pre-launch campaign and it'll mean a lot to me if you guys could take a look at it and probably join my author journey as well. Yeah, man. Uh, it sounds like a really good initiative. Um, I was happy to be a part of it. And I know you've got a lot of interviews with a lot of cool people and you're really distilling that knowledge and wisdom down. So you guys uh, help them out, drop a link to that here in the chat room i'll put a link to it in the show notes as well uh but yeah pick up a copy if you can guys um so next question let's go to tour yeah <laughs> uh today has been an amazing uh topic and discussion um and it fits a little bit into my question because um today i signed an agreement with an incubator company uh for my project and ever since I started this project, I've always had this consideration for an advisory board to be created, um, which is going to contain people from different fields, legal, 
technical, finance, um, business development, um, etc. Now, over the last few months, with the meetings that we've had every week, and you know the dialogue and the conversation and all the stuff I participated in, I've also come to the conclusion that I need to involve somebody from a data, or data analyst, data point of view. Okay, who can kind of be that kind of resource? So my question is really, what should I look for? I mean, I'd like to put Dave, Greg, Mark, yourself, RP, and a few other people, pretty much the whole meeting here, all the people in the meeting, put them into one person and then join the advice report. Uh, but since that's not possible, I'd like to get a little bit of input what I should be looking for. That's a good question. I'm going to have to be doing something similar as well. So if uh, if either Dave, Greg, or Lynn have any insight, I would love to hear what you guys think. Dave? If I- Greg. If I understand is was somebody going, going to talk? Nope, it's you, man. Go for it. Oh, if I, I just want to make sure I understand, Tor, um, you're talking about a company that is at the incubator level, right? Technically, I'm and, at the stage where I've launched some products already. It's like it's an MVP and gotcha. it's an SaaS concept that I'm working on with uh, online okay. solution. And I sent you the file, remember? <laughs> ah, okay, okay. Um, so I would start at the business level, right? So if you have uh, the team who can help you build the, um, I guess, the business plan in terms of what is that product? What, what is the issue you're trying to capture? Um, what does that solution look like? What is the strategy for for launching? How, how are you going to... Uh, help adopting it and things like that. So inside of the strategy, there could be a lot of uh, different things. It could be strategy for customer adoption, strategy for growth, uh, strategy for the back end too. So uh, how does data look like? So once you once you have all that plan, you, you need to find that person who can help you do this first. And then inside of those strategies, you pick uh, the people who can help you achieve those strategies. So when it comes to, for example, data strategy, what is that infrastructure looking like for this company? Then you look for somebody who is the expert in that in that infrastructure. Um, if you're looking for who's going to help you adopt on the customer side, uh, maybe you look for somebody who's uh, uh, good at, at selling whatever products you, you're, you're selling. If it's a SaaS product, then somebody who's good at sales, uh, selling SaaS can, can be a better advisor for you. So, it, you know, it all starts with that one document that drives, that really elaborates what vision you have for the sets of products and what the strategies are, and then pick whoever can help you, uh, uh, you know, get a home run inside of these strategies. What you're saying here is exactly what's been on my mind. Uh, what I've, I've created some sort of like a small matrix already, which consists of 10 key focus areas that I'm trying to cover. And like you mentioned, the products is one side, the market is another area. Um, there's the legal aspects, both internally and externally. Uh, legal also would include governance and those things. But the area that I'm really missing uh, is the part about that data, data management, how I can utilize the data, how I should integrate, how I should 
to make sure I have an all-round person in that area. That's what I'm kind of thinking about. I'm not looking for a specific, uh, uh, there's so many areas that can be focused on, but I need some kind of like an all-round person who, who can have, like I said, if I could take the entire group here tonight and put them into one person, I'd probably have my answer. But if I can't go that way, then that's what I'm looking for. Some of the, I mean, the areas that I've already, uh, I'll say, I'll say um, that I've looked into, of course, is the internal system, uh, system integrations. I'm looking at investor relations. Uh, I'm looking at the process evaluation for the products. I mean, where do they fit into the customer's uh, processes? Um, so I, I think all of that is in place, but I, I'm kind of missing that one key important part, which I'm starting to realize now is going to be a huge integral part. And what Vin just mentioned in the last comment that about automating all of these, I am a true believer that you cannot automate 100%. It will never happen. You will always need people involved. And that's another thing that I need input on is when I'm developing these tools, I am not going to solve 100% of the problems. My goal is to solve 80% and not get into the issue of um, specializing products because once you start specializing it, it just becomes too complex and it doesn't work. You you don't get the functionality properly. But but I need that kind of one person or two. I mean, if you think I should have two or three, one from each, uh, one engineer, one data analyst, and one ML ops person, yeah, I'll consider that because to me, I think this is the advisory board is going to be the the the, the team that's going to give me the advice on to run this business. Yeah, I think that, I know exactly what you're describing. It is the ever-elusive data science unicorn. That, that, <laughs> that's what you're looking for. Uh, I'd love to hear from uh, from Dave on this. Yeah, um, this is going to sound a bit self-serving, Tor, but you're describing me, dude. <laughs> well, we'll I've been talk. a software engineer. I've been a system integrator. I've been a hands-on analytics pro. I do machine learning. I've maintained production systems. So I joined your course and enjoyed it very much. <laughs> you look. You're looking for an old tech person, essentially, who's been around the block a bunch of times. Um, I've been an enterprise architect. So that's going to be tough, to be quite frank, to find if you're looking for one person that has all that breadth of experience. You're, you know, you're going to, you're going to need to find, you're going to need to find somebody like me, somebody who has a, a broad range of experiences through a long career, um, as well as hopefully someone who can communicate pretty well. Maybe I don't communicate so well. I'll let you guys be the judge of that. So it's going to be tough. So I would, I would be, rather than trying to focus on finding one person, you might want to think about, okay, there's, People in the tech industry tend to have clusters of experiences. So, for example, when you mentioned data management and some of those enterprise level concerns, a typical unicorn data scientist usually doesn't have that experience. Mm -hmm. That's usually not typified by that Venn diagram with the three circles and in the middle is the unicorn. Data management stuff usually isn't included in that. So, you might want to say, okay, cool. If I need some ML-ish stuff, I should go find somebody that's good at that, maybe the, the proverbial unicorn data scientist. And then if I'm looking for the enterprise-y type stuff, then I'll need a separate person for that. That's probably your best bet. So I'll take the whole group and make one big meeting like this every Friday, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> Here's <but> also, this <laughs> I also have a question for you, Tor. Tor and then Dave, uh, uh, let me know what you think. So do you need that now? 
right? So shouldn't you focus on, you know, building a product that people need and find out the DIY systems, infrastructures that can help you sustain that MVP. And then, and then you build a case for it now where you can kind of maybe uh, get a group who can give you more money to, to, to scale, right? And, and, and it can help you find the, the, the Daves, the unicorns, right? So, because, you know, there might be um, a way that, you know, Google, Google's infrastructure helps you sustain that MVP where you, you start gathering customers and now you have a case for a, a pitch deck that helps you uh, scale or it helps you get money. It, 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 unless you have the money yourself, uh, then you can oh, just I wish. <laughs> so, so, that, yeah, so figure out, figure out the DIY infrastructures that can help you sustain that MVP and start putting the word out there, get customers to uh, start creating value for that MVP. Because if it's a need that you're covering that people really need to fix, then customers would be willing to give you money for it. And, and now you have a, an engine that's running on a, a DIY backend infrastructure, like, like Google might have something for you. Then you grow from there. Or something like that, where you go for money. I, I, I'm completely with you, and I, I agree that the reason why I'm kind of starting the process around an advisory board is also to deal with these issues. Um, for me, the advisory board is not there to do my job, but my job is to do all the things that you're mentioning. And when I'm working with the incubator company, and, and you know they're going to start getting involved, and they're going to have their opinions, you know what? I am over my years, like they've said, we've been around for a long time. We learned our lessons, been there, done that, seen it all. Um, So what I'm trying now to do is to establish an advisory board that is going to be my my support. And also, of course, with an interest in the business and and to give me the advice that I'm looking for. Uh, Talk to strangers. Sorry? And and for me, it's, it is another thing that I'm also looking for. Of course, I'm a dreamer. I truly believe in making things efficient, improving efficiencies. The tools that I created now, I know will reduce the workflow time and cost by about 75% compared to the way it's being done today. That's been proven, that's tested. So I've been keeping a low profile up until now, but now that I'm kind of getting into more the serious game, that's what I'm feeling now. I need to have that kind of support. And and as I mentioned, I already have a few individuals, but it is the, the data side of things, the ML side of things, the AI side of things, the NLP side of things. These are all things. There's going to be transactional data analysis tools developed. There's a lot of things that's going to come, but I need to have somebody that I can trust when I'm going the other way to get the investors and to get the tech technical partners, ship or whatever else I'm going to do. And, and also to give me advice on how to deal with it. I speak many languages, but there are certain languages I have absolutely no idea. If anybody has any insights on this, I'd be happy to. Uh, yeah. So Tor, one of the things that I would, and I don't know what your product is, but are you planning on selling into large enterprises? We're talking about products that are going to be, they're scalable, meaning that it will be for individuals all the way up to multinationals. And okay. it's module-based, it's uh, seat-based. Um, it, the whole business model uh, is in place with pricing and structure. Uh, I haven't set the prices, but you know the whole concept is there. And of course, you have your free entry point and all of these things. So it, it, 
the concept and the modeling I've done. Now it's really to do what I mentioned earlier in my text, the FOB. I need help with the FOB, as I call it. I got the facts. I got the stats. I got the uh, the Excel spreadsheets. I got all the points and the point forms. But I need the FOB, the flowered organized bullshit, as I refer to it. It's all the yada, yada, blah, blah in between. Um, that kind of gives a better picture of what I'm trying to achieve. But again, the advisory board is going to help me to do that, if it makes sense. Kind of does. Um, I mean, I'm not going to presume to understand everything that you just no, said. No, no, no. Um, the only reason why I bring up large enterprises is because if you think that's going to be a non-trivial slice of your revenue, um, selling into large corporations is kind of a distinct thing as opposed to like B2C, right? If you're selling directly to a consumer, it's an entirely different kind of model. So that could influence the kinds of people that you want on your, um, on your advisory board. That's the only reason why I'm saying it. It's like, for example, you might want somebody with an enterprise big IT background because inevitably, if you're trying to sell a technology solution to a large corporation, they IT is a stakeholder, and they're going to have their own specific requirements. They're going to have their own specific needs that need to be fulfilled to help grease the wheels of the sale. So that'd just be something that I would keep in mind. Someone who can I'm speak the language, on. speak the language of big IT, basically. <laughs> the, the, the clients. I mean, the, it, this is targeting my own industry that I come from and I've worked in in the past 15, 20 years. So the large corporation is in auditing, uh, it's in oil and gas. These are companies that have big pockets. Um, once they get hooked, they will buy anything and they pay money for it. But my business model is the opposite. I'm actually coming in. My, my biggest problem I have right now is to justify my low pricing compared to what they're used to. Uh, and that is a huge challenge when you go to these companies to say to them, listen, pay me $10,000 a year and I will then reduce your cost by, you're talking maybe for a large company, you're looking at a cost saving 350 to 400,000 euros a year. So that that is a huge challenge. But my goal, I, if I can get them convinced and it works, then I also know I will be benefiting from the large volume that is coming on the other side. And uh, yeah, to me, that is a fair price. <laughs> I think. But again, this is what the advisory board is going to tell me and, and what I'm looking for. So I have already somebody which I'm going to be discussing the pricing issues on and how to do the pricing matrices, et cetera, et cetera. But again, we're coming back to the data because at the end of the day, somebody's going to have to go out and look for data. I can't find market data today. I've been looking up and down, back and forth. And thanks uh, very much, Harpreet, for your suggestions and recommendations on how to do searches. But till this day, I haven't been able to find. The only source I have been able to find is Lista Energy, which is a large company that sells data in the oil and gas industry. But when you start talking 50, 60,000 euros just for a license, um, yeah, that's not really on my agenda at this moment. <laughs> Maybe in the future. <laughs> but again, it comes back to data. Is there a person, because I may actually have a benefit to this company to share because they have some data that I'm interested in. I can get data through my system that can be shared with them. So I'm also looking for that kind of person that can understand the principles around these things, how that can work. So again, the whole group, or should I split it into? Sounds like you need positions? to. Sounds like you might need to pick up a, a copy of the book. Was it Infonomics? I feel like that that book covers this this section quite well, data monetization and things like that. Um, any input from anybody else here? 
uh, if anybody has anything to add here, um, please do let me know. Or you can always connect with Tor uh, on LinkedIn as well. He's quite uh, quite active on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, definitely feel free to contact me if you are interested or want to discuss a little bit further. I'm very open to have some discussions on this. Yeah. Uh, Dave, thank you so much for, for hanging out. Dave is running. Um, we've got a discount code for Dave here. All these discount codes right there in the chat. Uh, we got discount code from Data Science Infinity from Dedicated. It's all of Kate's courses. Um, Dave's hooking us up with that. George Farrakhan's course. All of these have the the uh, the code. Harpreet is the man with underscores, all cap. Check it out, guys. Um, hey, yes, Greg. Can we just give Harpreet a hand clap? Great job, man. Hey, man. Thank Happy you. Happy anniversary. Much. Thank you for accepting us. Thank you for hosting. You're a masterclass. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for, for sticking with me for a year. I don't know if you guys all listen to the podcast, but if you have not listened to an episode yet, please listen to the episode I did with Robert Green today. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for, for just you know supporting the show and coming to hang out with me. I really appreciate having you guys here. Um, I mean, this is it's, it's such an honor to be able to create this content and share with you guys. I just hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're getting some value. Shout out to William is here. William, um, Make sure you uh, drop a link to the Tableau dashboard that he created. Thank you so much for making that, man. That really means a lot. Thanks, uh, Harpreet. Just happy to be here with all these people that are part of my family now. My wife said that I spend more time with you guys than her. So <laughs> uh, happy to be here. Uh, I got a role as a business yeah. intelligence developer, uh, so I'm going to start soon. Um, I'm really excited to be sharing more information in the future with you guys. But I, I've learned a lot from you and all these people here. So thank you, everybody. Yeah, man. Uh, today's episode was freaking awesome. I learned a lot. I'm definitely going to be going back to this one at least two or three times. Um, shout out to my wife, guys. My wife, like she's so she hooked me up yesterday. She got me, uh, she got edible arrangements delivered to the house to celebrate the one year anniversary of the podcast. Uh, surprised me with a cake and some, uh, some, some gifts and stuff like that. So really appreciate that. Thank you very much, Romy. Um, and again, thank you guys so much for, for tuning in. Appreciate having you here um, week after week. I love it, man. Make sure you <clears throat> make sure you register for Data Science Go. You can get more of me all weekend. Um, I'll be much more caffeinated for those, I promise. Uh, guys, remember, you got one life on this planet. Why not try to do something big? Cheers, everyone.